Dissecting Dexter is brought to you by Audible.com. For your free audiobook download and free trial, go to www.audibletrial.com slash Dexter. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you as usual from the mobile studio deep in the heart of rural North Yorkshire, England. And well, what can I say? We're here, this is it. It's the start of the end, the beginning of the end, as the trailers tell us. It's the final season of Dexter, season 8. And I have to say, as I'm sure a lot of you do, I enter this season with a sense of trepidation and excitement and a touch of sadness that, that this is it but um, I must say I am hopeful of a rip-roaring season with, with really great stuff to enjoy and savour and hopefully some great lasting memories of, of the conclusion of this, this show that we all love. Well it's it's been a reasonable hiatus it's not been as long as last year's it's been what best part of best part of seven months not like the nine months we had to wait last year and it's not been so bad it's it's gone by fairly quickly i don't know how it's been for you guys i mean we've i i, I must express thanks and gratitude gratitude to uh sorry spartacus reference <laughs> oh, i'm off um here we go yeah i i I'm very grateful to the Dexter Wrap-Up podcast that has kept us topped up with regular helpings of uh, cast interviews. Kind of stealing my thunder after I kind of embarked on that road last year. <laughs> but, um, you know, Scott Reynolds has the cast on speed dial, so uh, I think no less of him. And uh, I'm very grateful to uh, to him for keeping us entertained with his, his Big Bad Edition podcast over the last few weeks. He's had scoops of uh, in the shape of uh, John Lithgow and Jimmy Smits and Colin Hanks. He's had Jamie Murray and Julie Benz on. There's been some really great conversations, and uh, not to mention the, the Showtime teaser trailers, some of which were fantastic. Did you catch all of them? There were one or two that were which I thought had enormous sort of artistic value, uh, not to mention dramatic value and really, really superb. A couple of my favourites were the ones that, there were two, but they were sort of identical in structure and juxtaposed Dexter and Deb. And it was the one that was kind of a montage of flashes of, of faces Dexter's face through the seasons uh, with different expressions and then likewise for Deb uh, and I thought they were really effective really well done and there was an, then there was another one that was awesome uh, Dexter in an art gallery and it was his masterpiece uh, and, and there were portraits of all these different victims and it was a real beautiful bit of fan service as it was you had to pause it to spot your favorite not just uh, the major kills not just the big bads but also regular kills of the week as well um you know harking back to season one really great stuff and then the final uh shot was dexter standing in front of a frame uh 
looking back at the camera, gives a little smile and walks out of frame and we see the, the, uh, uh, the frame was empty. Um, and it's kind of left ambiguous as to whether that last frame will be his portrait at the end, teasing as to whether or not Dexter will survive this final season. Brilliant stuff. You know, if I, th if I sound over-enthusiastic, it's because I love those, those three so much. Um, of course, we had the regular Showtime sort of proper trailers that, that included some footage from season eight. Uh, and having watched now the first episode of the season, I think a lot of the footage came from that first episode, as last year's trailer did as well, uh, and probably previous seasons as well, but last year's is still quite fresh in my mind. Um, so, yeah, we've we've had quite a bit of content over the last, certainly over the last several weeks, um, just to sort of get us geared up and, and excited for the new season, as if we weren't excited enough already. Um, and, and honestly, not enough time had passed from season seven that I'd forgotten about it. How could I? I mean, I've kept the rewatches going <coughs> in a fashion. <laughs> I'll say it before anybody else does. <laughs> we did get to the end of season two. Um, obviously, a lot of the listenership, the vast majority of the listenership of this podcast tune in, as I, I see from the, the download numbers, uh, the vast majority of you join me for the uh, podcasts talking about the new seasons and that's understandable um, the numbers do drop in between seasons uh, but a lot of you stick with me uh, throughout and, and I'm, I'm grateful to all of you uh, so yeah we, we did finish off season two finally uh, I <laughs> only just managed it it was only about three weeks ago when I did the final season two one or was it even was it even two weeks ago? I lose track of time. Um, and, and ironically, uh, it was that week when I got two podcasts out within the space of about four or five days because we got the Season 8 preview podcast out as well. Uh, and thanks again to um, Mike, Bob and Travis. Travis, I hesitate, but how can I forget Travis? Um, who joined me to chat about the final season and go over any sort of threads dangling from last season and we had a good time and if you've not heard that I mean it, it might be a bit moot now we've started season 8 but you, you know for a bit of Dexter content a bit of dissecting Dexter chit chat uh, then go back and uh, listen to, to that preview um, yeah we had a good bit of fun and it, it, it didn't go on as long as the last one <laughs> although we did uh, my time it did get to close to midnight when we finished so I was still pretty pretty bushed by the end of it um, anyway, of course, this intro, as always, drags on longer than um, I'm sure a lot of you would like. But um, I just checked my notes here. Talked about the wrap-up podcast, the preview show. Yeah, season eight is still being filmed. Uh, they've got another, another ten days or so of actually not that long. The, the final wrap date is July the ninth. So I record today on July the 2nd, uh, so not long now before they have their big wrap-up party. Uh, unfortunately, my invite seems to have been lost in the post, but, you know, <laughs> who knows? It might still be uh, winging its way to me. <laughs> As if. <laughs> I can dream. Uh, recording schedule. Um... Unfortunately, the final season, as we all know, is broadcasting over the summer season. And 
as is inevitable in in most people's sort of <laughs> uh, lives, <laughs> um, it's holiday season and my life is no exception. So unfortunately, uh, <laughs> we've got the six week holidays coming up when the kids are off and we are planning two separate weeks over the summer when we will be going away, probably camping. But it does mean that I will not be able to podcast uh, myself uh, for two of the episodes. Um, I think it's episode four and episode nine, just off the top of my head, uh, when I won't be able to cover them myself. Um, I'll, I'll mention those again nearer the time. Uh, as I did last year, I am making provision to ensure that some content <laughs> goes out there and the episode does get covered. Uh, so watch this space for further news about that. Um, but I'll be covering the remaining ten episodes completely myself. Uh, so stick with us. <laughs> uh, the the podcast will prevail. The show must go on. And even when I'm not here, uh, I will uh, make every provision to get content out there for you. Okay, just before we get into the episode, the first episode, viewing figures have been announced, and um, it's well, it's by the by now, isn't it? The show's not going to get cancelled. Um, but just interesting to note that including replays on the night, the total viewership was 3.2 million, which Showtime have said is Dexter's largest premiere audience ever. It was up from the season seven premiere which came in at 3 million, but it was down from the season 7 finale, which was 3.4 million. Okay, let's get into it. The review of Season 8, Episode 1, A Beautiful Day, written by showrunner Scott Buck and directed by Keith Gordon. The original air date, the 30th of June, 2013. Here we go, for the first time in this final season. like how the episode opened. A nice Spanish guitar version of What a Wonderful World, played, I presume, by regular Dexter composer Daniel Licht. And we see some happy scenes as we listen to the opening Dexter monologue. We find out it's been six months since the events of the season seven finale, which would put the timeline, well, about now, sort of late June, early July, knowing LaGuerta died on New Year's Eve. And it's fair to say that there have been a few changes for everyone. Most notably, Deb quit her job. She just walked out one lunchtime and didn't come back. Luckily, it was quite a plausible reaction to the shock of LaGuerta's death, so it didn't arouse any suspicions. Batista's the new lieutenant, while Matthews is out from retirement and the new deputy chief. Incidentally, no one seems to be captain. I don't know if that's an oversight, or whether it was deliberate and maybe that situation is out of respect for LaGuerta or have they renamed the position Deputy Chief? I don't know, maybe we'll find out. Dexter's monologue suggests all is well. He's doing stuff with Harrison, which is a very big positive for me. We gave his daddy skills a good bashing last year. I hope Sandy in Ireland is pleased. <laughs> Although he did blot his copybook yet again this episode, but we'll come to that. I love the glee and relish on Dexter's face as he 
bash the shit out of that fake head <laughs> with a baseball bat and then the thumbs up from Masuka. Nice touch. I really like that moment. We find Dexter's been coaching Harrison's football team. I refuse to call it soccer, as he does. I am English, remember. But the coaching is brilliant for his relationship with his son. How much time must they have spent together through this? I also love to see the old bowl-till-you-bleed shirt make a reappearance. Dexter's monologue emphasises how he's still so different from most of us. He basically doesn't feel bad about La Guerta. It solved his crisis and he's relaxed back into his routine. He's still killing, of course. We see a glimpse of him about to dismember someone. But his voiceover paints a very rosy picture. I'm a survivor, he says. And that he certainly is, but at what cost? He makes no mention of his sister in this speech, notable by her absence. It's a bit like, oh, I'm all right, Jack. Never mind anyone else. And we soon see the impact on some of the other characters. There's a ceremony for La Guerta where they're unveiling a memorial for her. A crap-looking concrete bench. I know it's common for people to put benches in places in memory of deceased loved ones. And that's fine, but this sequence just didn't really click with me. It felt weird. Although I did feel Batista's sadness. There was a look on Dexter's face as he was speaking. Hard to read exactly what he was thinking, but he was feeling something. It won't have been guilt, but maybe a recognition that he's brought all this about. But you bloody should feel guilt, Dexter Morgan, and not just for Batista. <laughs> I didn't blame Batista for being snippy with Masuka when he got touchy-feely. But I do love Masuka. Hopefully we'll get more of him this season. It's telling that Dexter hasn't heard from Deb in quite a while. Although he doesn't let on to his colleagues, and he did his best to cover it up. Clearly the last six months haven't been kind to her. As we all predicted, killing LaGuerta hit her very hard. She's presumably suffering a degree of post-traumatic stress, not to mention the serious personal guilt. While Dexter is expert at compartmentalising, Deb is not, and we soon see the effects, and it isn't pretty. It's supposed to be for both of us. Mm. Mm, sorry, I guess I got carried away. Mm. Gonna have to share. Mm. Oh, this was horrible. Mm. Seeing Deb like this. We saw last season how she was starting to take the pills to ease the pain, but through this episode we see how much further she's fallen. Dexter finds a cocktail of different pills in her house, while we see her snorting cocaine, smoking pot, drinking warm beer in supermarkets. Now, the pot I can forgive, but warm beer? Seriously? Has she no shame? <laughs> no. <laughs> I shouldn't joke too much. As the heart of the show, as I've long referred to her, it's tragic to see her this way. But again, as the episode goes on, we see she is actually working. It's a very mixed-up situation. We learn that Deb's working for Elway Investigations, and we meet Elway himself when Dexter's trying to track her down. But not much to say about the guy yet, except he's played by Sean Patrick Flannery, who you may recognise from such productions as The Young and Restless, Saw 3D, Powder and Boondock Saints. Anyway, Deb's working a case, and the guy she's snorting coke with and snogging is her case. It seems she's going a bit too method, 
and throwing herself in so deep that she's risking her own health by taking Class A drugs. But it's also made very clear that they're having sex too. I mean, if she is only working, she's taking the job extremely seriously. But of course, we know Deb, and we know she's messed up and punishing herself. I was intrigued by the situation, her knocking around with this dangerous guy, with a proven violent history. He's played by Rhys Coiro, by the way, who I recognise from 24 and Entourage. And I was surprised he didn't survive the episode, being a reasonably well-known actor. I thought he'd be around for longer. But his role did serve as a plot device to move things along with Deb and Dexter. Dexter, of course, is looking out for her well-being and takes a big risk taking Harrison with him to Fort Lauderdale to rescue her. So, again, Dexter the dodgy daddy makes a reappearance and nearly came unstuck had he not quickly found Harrison in the parking lot. A narrow squeak there, but definitely squeaky bum time for Dexter. But before we get there, we get a couple of very telling scenes between Deb and Dexter earlier in the episode. Firstly, in the supermarket when Dexter tries to approach her. She's hostile to say the least. I mean, she's strung out on drugs, but she quite reasonably blames Dexter entirely for what's happened. Her only way to deal with it was to run away and cut herself off from him. Harry had already appeared and pointed as much out to Dexter. Of course, we must remember Harry is inside Dexter's head, so when they're talking it's just a conversation Dexter's having with himself, but manifesting as Harry. Of course, I'm preaching to the converted, saying that to you guys, but part of Dexter knows he's responsible and understands why Deb went away and understands that he shouldn't pursue her. Help her by letting her go. But then when Dexter finds out she's in real danger from this El Sapo guy, you can forgive him for trying to warn her. But that comes later. The scene in the supermarket came first and was very hard to watch, but it made compelling viewing. Deb maintains that she's working the case, but Dexter doesn't back off easily. Oh, I'm not leaving. Fuck you. Do you want to know why I'm not returning your phone calls? Because I don't want to talk to you. And I really don't want to fucking see you. Why? <laughs> Why? Um, because you made me compromise everything about myself that I care about. And I hate you for it. No, you don't. I shot the wrong person in that trailer. Oh, that stopped him in his tracks. When I saw this clip in the preseason trailer, I was stunned. What a thing to say. It really made me feel sad. But then look at her life. Dexter had been her rock. But then again, he is directly responsible for where she is now. She is another Dexter Morgan victim, albeit one that's still breathing. Dexter meant well, but ultimately was operating selfishly to tend to his own dark needs. To give him a little credit, though, he did side with Deb over Hannah last year, so that must count for something. Just not for Deb, it seems. Those were harsh words. She's in a very dark place. Dexter can shut himself off and not feel bad about LaGuerta, but he compartmentalises his guilt over Deb at his peril, or certainly at the cost of their relationship. And the scene does affect him as illustrated in a very unsubtle way when he gets road rage just after. So, the next great scene between them, and another 
that gives us more Emmy-worthy work from Jennifer Carpenter. I swear, if she doesn't get some award this year, then there's something seriously bloody wrong with this world. <laughs> but the next scene is at the motel when Dexter tries to warn her about the danger from El Sapo, who he's found out he's a hitman. Deb, it's very dangerous. I get that. So you need to come with me. You could die here. I don't fucking care. Deb? What? What? Aren't you the one that's always saying that bad people deserve to die? You're not a bad person. I killed LaGuerta. It doesn't matter right now. It doesn't matter? Jesus fucking Christ, Dexter, it doesn't matter. This is what I meant. Come on. Deb, it's been months of this. You can't keep me away forever. <laughs> you don't understand anything, do you? I wake up every day thinking of every bad decision that I ever made because of you. And it kills me that I can't take any of it back. I'm sorry. Don't fucking make that face and say I'm sorry to me. Even if it were fucking true, it, w it wouldn't make any difference. Because we can't undo any of it. So why don't you go back to your little life and pretend like everything's fine, but I can't do that because I am not fucking like you. The tension and emotion in her voice there. Whew, great acting. The comment about Dexter not making that face again. That was unscripted, apparently. But strong stuff again. Dexter thinks that six months is long enough to get over what she did. <laughs> Jesus, how naive. But how typical of Dexter, who has so little or no empathy, depending on your point of view. And... Deb doesn't care if she gets killed. She's really taking this punishing herself thing a bit too far. I guess the drugs are giving her something to numb the pain, but she doesn't care if she lives or dies. She has lost everything she's lived and worked for. And even though Dex is offering her a hand to pull her out of this, or so he thinks, <laughs> she'd only be going back to him and look at what he's done to her life over the years, as she points out. Jennifer Carpenter put it in an interesting way on the wrap-up podcast this week. I'm paraphrasing, but she described Deb floundering and all she needs to do is push herself off the bottom. But the problem is, Dex is waiting for her at the top and she doesn't want to go back there. <laughs> no wonder she thinks she's killed the wrong person in the container. Then things go even further south when... Dex gets in a fight with Briggs and Briggs ends up dead. I was surprised when Deb was so upset and said how she felt okay around him. This low-life violent criminal makes you wonder about how she would have played it when her investigation came to fruition. If she had feelings for him, would she have turned him in or otherwise betrayed him for the case? We'll never know now, but... Maybe she was just okay with having someone in whatever capacity. Someone she was comfortable with. That's all she needed. However questionable a choice he was. But remember, she is punishing herself. Maybe she knew she was playing with fire, but didn't care about the risk. It's an appalling situation for it to be in. Such a terrible fall for a much-loved character. So... Here she was, finding some kind of comfort with this guy and Dexter Wade's in to rescue her when she didn't want rescuing, least of all by him. And on top of that, he kills the man. 
So she's lost that little bit of comfort, in her eyes stolen from her by Dexter. He strikes again, never mind he was only looking out for her, but you can appreciate her point of view. But the scene gets more interesting when she comes up with a home truth. Deb, look at yourself, you're lost. I am not lost. I know exactly where I am. I am in some shitty fucking hell, which is exactly what I deserve. You, you are lost. All my life I thought I needed you, but I couldn't survive without you. Fuck, fuck. It was the other fucking way around. It was the other way around. Dad. Fucking go. Don't. I'll get rid of the body. Don't. don't you fucking do anything, all right? I'm gonna handle this. But if El Sapo comes, he's no, a he has man. no fucking clue who I am. But if he comes here and sees you, would you fucking go? I'm gonna call this in. Wow. There's been some. Did I sound like a cat then? Wow. Wow. There's been some great dialogue between these two this week, isn't there? Awful things being said, but look at all that's happened. Dexter is lost. That's an interesting concept, and one I'd not considered for a long time in the show. Deb maybe does know exactly where she is. She's savvy and intelligent enough to know what she's doing. She knows she's punishing herself, but it's exactly what she thinks she deserves. If the law can't punish her, she will. It's her way of coping with the trauma and guilt of what she's done. And let's face it, what she did do was a bloody doozy. <laughs> but Dexter, he's destroyed his sister and reacts, as he always does, by compartmentalising and carrying on with complete lack of empathy, as if all is well. Hearing his sister talk to him like this could be a wake-up call, but... What can he do about it? He's not going to stop killing. Deb's not coming back to him any time soon. Where can he turn? He's got Harrison, but he's just a child. Perhaps Dexter is lost. I went to the church that night that you killed Travis Marshall to tell you that I'm in love with you. <laughs> I know it's weird and it's gross and it's fucked up. <laughs> This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. You're a serial killer and I'm more fucked up than you are. Let's take a look at the new case for the department at this point because it leads us into an important new character. I like the scene at the waterside when they were looking at that body, but I was disappointed at the lack of reaction when Dexter lifted his head up. Uh, the body's head up and the back of his head came loose. <laughs> there was a muffled, ooh. But how often do these guys see stuff like that? I would have liked, oh, jeez, oh, Christ, holy shit. <laughs> something like that. Something to put across the revulsion at seeing something so horrific. Honestly, I think we missed Deb's creative swearing here. I think a, a well-placed holy frankenfuck would have gone down a treat, don't you? <laughs> But the case opens the door for the entrance of a new character, Dr Evelyn Vogel, played by veteran British actress Charlotte Rampling. She's had a very long successful career, including a lot of French movie roles. 
In fact, she spent a lot of time living in France, so if you detected an unusual European accent, that's why. Vogel is a fascinating addition to the show. We talked about her on the preview podcast at some length, so if you didn't hear it, go back and listen, because we, we did... Um, yeah, we did. I think we did a reasonable amount of justice predicting what she would mean for Dexter this season, in a non-spoiler way. Right away, we're interested in this character, because she's clearly set up this episode as someone with an acute insight into the minds of psychopaths, which, of course, has Dexter immediately worried. And when she summons him for a private chat, he's bricking it. Worried she's already picked up on something about him. And we later find out that she does indeed know more about him than he'd like. The tease with Dexter's macabre childhood pictures was a biggie. I did like the reference to... I did like the picture of the of him killing the dog, which was a reference to one of the early flashbacks from... Oh, I can't remember. Season 1 or Season 2. One or the other. But one of the early ones, probably Season 1, when... They were talking about the dog, next door's dog, and um, Harry asked Dexter what he'd done with it. I'm not quite remembering that right, I get this feeling, but I'm sure you know the bit I mean. <laughs> anyway, how would Vogel have those pictures? We know she worked with Miami PD in the past, so maybe she knew Harry. And she makes reference to Harry's code, and saying to Dex, you can't kill me. And that in itself suggests she knows Dex is a killer. So she must have at least known Harry, but really how much about Dexter does she really know to be true? This will be interesting. And I'm looking forward to how, through her, we inevitably delve into Dexter's past, bringing the show full circle. The scene with the pictures, which incidentally were drawn by the son of writer Scott Reynolds, by the way, I really like the camera work. When Dexter sees the pictures and runs after her, the camera is handheld, giving a shaky visual as it follows him. It makes for an unsettling, dizzy visual, matching, matching the surprise and confusion in his head. Nice work there. Speculating about the future, if Dexter is indeed lost and needs a guide, maybe Evelyn Vogel will be just that. If she's got ties to Dexter's past, she could provide a useful level of personal understanding. And of course, she has that experience of working with psychopaths generally, so has a professional skill of dealing with this sort of person. Interesting times are ahead, I think. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It helps me control the chaos. Just quickly, let's look at the rest of the episode, but not too much beyond Deb and Dexter, really. As teased at the end of last season, Jamie and Quinn have hooked up. Actress Amy Garcia has been promoted to series regular this season, so expect to see more of her, which does make a change for a nanny, although we couldn't really see much more of her than we already did this episode. <clears throat> although, I'd say Jamie as a character is a little more than just a nanny now. As now as Batista's sister and Quinn's love interest. In fact, we ought to think up a new name for Quinn and Jamie, like we had Jamie and Lewis back in season six. We called them Loomy, 
What could Jamie and Quinn be? Quinny? Quimmy? No. <laughs> Quingy? Jam Jammin? No. <laughs> I'm sure you'll come up with a better idea. So, um, yeah, their scenes did amuse me, Jamie and Quinn together. Amy Garcia, I thought, was pretty brave in her nude scenes, I thought, but what actually amused me was the constant coitus interruptus. <laughs> First, is there anything funnier, really? This is, in terms of schadenfreude. <laughs> First Batista, and then Dexter later. And in the second instance, as Quinn went to answer the door, saying, Yeah, I'm coming! I thought, oh no, you're not. <laughs> but plot-wise... I really don't have any opinion about their relationship. It doesn't seem to matter too much at the moment. Unless Jamie lets slip something about Dexter's nocturnal comings and goings and it, it brings back Quinn's memories of the whole Stan Liddy investigation um, a couple of seasons ago. But having someone else in Miami PD sniff around Dexter's trail this season, you know, it's, it's, um, it's ground they've trodden more than once before. So I, I don't know how likely that is now. Quick mention of Batista. I felt his sadness in his scenes. He's no doubt feeling LaGuardia's death more than anyone else. Well, <laughs> apart from Deb. And he's dropped any notion of retirement to come back as lieutenant. Long deserved, I think. I don't know if the season holds anything more than him leading the investigation into this brain case, though. We'll see. But I hope he gets something decent to do, like I feel about Masuka. So, that's it for episode one of the final season. On second watch, to prepare for the podcast, I appreciate it more than on the first watch. It lacked the same amount of intense, game-changing drama of last season's opener. But the scenes between Deb and Dexter this time, they... They were pretty tough and had an intensity of their own. So I have to say I really like this episode. It established quite a lot for the season. Laid down a lot of groundwork. The Deb-Dexter dynamic goes from bad to worse and will obviously form part of the season's bedrock. Probably the lion's share. And I'm very intrigued by Evelyn Vogel and what she'll bring to the table. She's here for the whole season, I think, so won't be a small part. And as the story of Dexter nears its conclusion, it's good that, we'll, that we look set to dig into his childhood and analyse him through this character. As for the brain case, whether this will last the season remains to be seen, but I'm intrigued as to whether there'll be any connection between the killer and Vogel and whether Dexter will get drawn into it. Alright, for the first time this final season... Let's find out what you guys thought. Listener Feedback So Gareth, it's uh, 1.20am on Monday the 1st of July and I've just watched Dexter Series 8 Episode 1 my thoughts about Episode 1 are that this series is all about Dexter and Dr Vogel as you rightly discussed is going to play a highly significant role in this series Deb 
is all messed up, as we guessed, although working outside of Miami Police. We have in the first episode our first murder and our first Dexter kill, albeit not of a normal way. Deb truly hates Dexter now and has decided that rather than her needing him all her life, it was the other way around. And Dexter is starting to believe that himself. We've never seen so much doubt in Dexter before. And now Dr. Vogel is on the scene and handed him his drawings from when he was a child. The scene is set for a different series of Dexter than normal. Dr. Vogel has a really creepy voice. Well, that just leaves Dexter totally stunned. Anyway, Gareth, hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to hearing the podcast. This is Steve from the UK, one of your loyal listeners. Thanks, Steve. I think you got in there with this before most people had even watched the episode. So, well done. You take the prize for the first piece of feedback for the final season. Vogel does have an interesting accent and her bombshell at the end did indeed leave Dexter quite stunned. It sets things up for a good storyline with her, though. Let's go to an email from Jacob Newman, who says, The main theme of the episode is how much Dexter is unravelling because Deborah doesn't want him to be in her life anymore. The best scene was when Deb told him that she thought she needed him. But it was the other way around. He needed her. She was his rock. Without her, Dexter is lost. That will be the beginning of the end. He's falling apart, becoming emotional and making mistakes. I think that the blood on Harrison's stuffed toy will play a part in his undoing. I didn't really care for Batista in this episode. I don't really like Quinn and Jamie together. Masuka didn't have anything to do again. He is superfluous. I like that Matthews has his job back as deputy chief. Dr Vogel was a very good addition. I think that there is more than a little bit... I think that is more than a little bit crazy and it looks like she will try to get Dexter to kill targets in future episodes. Thanks, Jacob. That was pretty strong stuff, Deb telling Dex he's the one who's lost. It's probably true, but to be fair, Dexter really has been Deb's rock ever since Harry died. She has relied on him for reassurance and support, but it's not a surprise that she's been his constant too, at the risk of making a lost reference. I think this will be something he'll muse about in the next episode. It's something he's unlikely to have ever considered before. Whether Vogel will try and encourage Dexter to kill targets, specific targets of her choosing, I don't know. That might be a little bit, um, a little bit too far. But um, who knows? <laughs> it's early days yet to see what her agenda really is. Hey Gareth, it's Ken from Pittsburgh. Um, waking up on a Tuesday morning. I, I just watched the uh, episode of Dexter last night, season eight, getting off to a Great start, uh, I'll just say. Um, the writers uh, didn't toy us around or waste any time with Evelyn Vogel. They just went out and said at the end of the episode, look, she knows about Dexter. They didn't make that a four-episode plot thread, and then they didn't waste their time. They they got into the nitty-gritty. Uh, they set a solid six-minute, uh, sorry, six-minute, six-month, time period between season 7 and season 8. Uh, no room for speculation about how long it's been. Uh, we have a 
pretty good timeline. We know exactly what Dexter's been doing. Uh, probably being the best father he's been ever, um, being human, uh, getting a, a little friendship on the side, uh, and a uh, pretty solid uh, movement for, for Deb's character moving into the private sector comes as being a private detective with bounty hunter thing, I guess. Um, the Batista's, the lieutenant now, or whatever. You know, no, 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 she's, he's a lieutenant. Okay. I, I feel like everything that's happened in the police department makes sense. Uh, all the relationships, like Jamie and Quinn are together. Um, there's still a lot of mixed feelings about the Florida, which I think makes sense. Uh, Matthews has got his job back. Thanks to LaGuardia last season. There are a lot of things that just make sense this season. It's probably... It's, it's probably have had the least amount of plot holes in any episode of Dexter in a long time. Like, they they mentioned that Dexter got the bowling team back together. I'm like, wow. Haven't heard about that since the second season. So, um, just lots of, you know, great little touches this season. And... And I'm really looking forward to this season, so I don't have the most well-thought-out ideas uh, so far. Nothing really insightful to say, except, um, man, is it funny in a really dark way that everything that LaGuardia has worked for her entire life just uh, constantly be, you know, reminding us that she's a symbol for the Latino community in Miami. And now she's a park bench. Like, man. Whew. Thanks, Ken. It is ironic that LaGuardia is reduced to a dull concrete bench, surrounded by people's litter, as we saw at the end. You can't blame Batista for feeling a bit pissed off about it. And yes, Dexter seems to have been spending more time with Harrison than ever before. At least that's the implication in that opening montage. Definitely a step in the right direction, but he's still far from the ideal parent. But then again, it is all relative, isn't it? It is Dexter Morgan we're talking about. An email now from Bob DeGrand, host of the DexterCast, who was on the Season 8 preview podcast with me a couple of weeks ago. He writes with a few quick-fire thoughts to say, It's going to be hard watching Deb like this, but I think it will make for effective TV. Lieutenant Batista, just mentioned in passing? He never wanted a desk job, but I guess Maria's death made him reevaluate, and he wanted to be the man to solve that case. I can tell already that I'm going to love Evelyn Vogel. Angel to Vince. First of all, it's weird when you try to speak Spanish. Second, don't ever touch me. <laughs> Perfect little bit from two of my favourite characters. Of course, what the fuck else would Deb's password be? Dex's road rage was scary. I was terrified for that other driver. Did Matthews get demoted to captain? Either way, I'm happy to see him around. He's great at making trouble for everyone. My guess is that El Sapo will go after Deb and Dexter will intervene to save her, starting to repair their relationship. Really looking forward to this season. Thanks, Bob. And thanks again for joining me, Mike and Travis on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It is hard to see Deb like this, but I welcome the show going in this different direction. After 
treading water for a couple of years in seasons five and six. They mixed things up last year and have done the same again this year. Or so it seems. It's good. And I know it's brought back quite a few jaded viewers. Matthews didn't get demoted to captain. He was referred to as deputy chief this week. I have no idea who is captain now, if there even is a captain. Batista is lieutenant. I don't know, maybe we'll find out. I did tweet writer Scott Reynolds with this question to ask who's captain, but he didn't reply. So whether that's a spoiler or not, I don't know. If it is going to be a spoiler, then I wouldn't expect him to reply. So who knows? El Sapo will surely go after Deb. We saw him sitting in the car watching the scene with Dexter. Maybe he'll assume Deb knows where the stolen stuff is and go after her. I think it's a safe bet that he'll end up with an appointment on the kill table, though. Ooh, Gareth boy. Uh, the episode was all right. In my opinion, that's all right. I don't know. We've seen worst episodes. Uh, I think a lot of people, certainly myself, were spoiled by the by the Showtime press. The whole big reveal at the end of this episode with Evelyn Vogel uh, clearly knowing about the code. I mean, that was all stuff Showtime put out for everyone to know. I mean, they're devaluing the shock value of their own series. Now, of course, some people just don't follow that stuff, so they must have been so thrilled. And I apologize to any of your podcast listeners who had somehow found themselves otherwise unknowing of everything that was going on with Showtime Press. And when they listened to the preview podcast that we had done a few weeks ago, I apologize if we kind of ruined this episode for them. Because, I mean, really, I felt like the episode didn't have a whole lot of sting to it just because we knew about Evelyn Vogel's history or uh, you know history with Dexter we knew exactly what to expect from Deb uh, so I mean uh, it was just kind of like for, a, go, for me as a viewer going through the motions like okay I kind of knew all this so it's like finally I'm looking forward to next week like alright now tell me something I don't know you know but I understand that the you know you have to think about the legacy of a show beyond its initial run and like sometime in the future perhaps uh, this could totally be something great for some viewers finally getting to the show, getting their minds blown. Uh, but, you know, there is no denying for me and probably for others that uh, this episode, I don't know if there was a whole lot to, to write home about. But speaking of Evelyn Vogel, man, you know, psychopath, psychopath, psychopath. I mean, yo, if you do a Dexter drinking game, how many times this woman says psychopath in this episode? I mean, you get you're going to have to go get your stomach pumped or uh, admit yourself to Betty Ford or something, man, because you got a problem. Man, that's... Like, psychopaths like the new... Remember back in season six that he was always like, darkness, darkness, oh, my darkness is. It was like, damn, psychopath, I get it. You, yo, you're, it's called a thesaurus. Ever heard of it? Figure out something else to say. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, her character, obviously, she's got something going on behind the scenes of why she came just now um, she's not being totally truthful with Matthews about why she came but it does just seem a little ham-fisted just bringing her in now of all times during Dexter's like biggest crisis and uh, I'm not entirely sure the writers do all their research on mental illness and stuff like that not like of course now this is me talking out of my ass not like I do my research I don't know the writers probably know vast amounts more than me but I'm just not entirely convinced every psychopath oh, I hate that word is the same I like how Evelyn Vogel describes it. No, a psychopath would not have emotions, not do that. Yeah, because we all know serial killers are also rational and make the best decisions, right? Uh, yeah, Trinity never got angry, right? Sure. Hmm. Okay, whatever. I mean, I get the point. She's trying to spook Dexter. 
Whatever. And hey, well, Dexter's getting pissed all the time. Maybe he's not really a psychopath. Maybe he he is a real boy after all. Oh. Uh, of course, they got the new kid to play Harrison. I mean, he's completely inoffensive. Uh, the only reason I even bring him up is for two reasons. One, I mean, I think he is a little old to be playing what Harrison's supposed to be. I mean, I be- I'm believe Harrison's supposed to be like four or something. I mean, that kid's like six, right? Or I don't, I don't, I don't know how a lot about child development, but he does just seem extremely old. Certainly more than six months older than Harrison we had last seen him. But of course, I'm going to forgive all that. Four years old seems a little young to be joining a minor league soccer team or little league soccer team, I should say. But I, I forgot about that. I understand why they did it. But uh, also, I still don't really feel like a connection between Dexter and Harrison. This really isn't so much the, the I'm sorry, the actor's fault. I uh, just they don't really ever show Dexter being a father, which of course maybe now they'll try to spin it in a way like, oh, that's what we always planned. We always wanted Dexter to be a horrible father. Uh, it's not just the fact that he shrugs off, J- Harrison off on Jamie constantly, but it's. I mean, even in this episode, there's no, doesn't seem like there's any shorthand that exists between the two. I mean, shouldn't, between father and son, certainly single father and son, like, I mean, these two should know each other like no other business, and it's, it's just always, uh, Dexter doesn't even look at Harrison when he's speaking to him half the time. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, final thoughts, trying to keep this shorter than not. Uh, no more blue screen cell phones with just generic texts that say Deborah calling. Looks like they shelled out money or something to get the official iPhone, iOS, uh, software or something on their show. Because you see now it's like a looks like a real iPhone when Dexter's calling. So hey, hey, you know, good for Apple, I guess. Uh, also, you know, you gotta love that TV sex, man. There ain't nothing better than having sex with a woman and. Her cup in her own breasts, or when she lays down, she's on her belly while you're on your back. You know, nobody does TV sex with uh, stars like Dexter does. You know how it is, man. Uh, and finally, I, this, I was just kind of lukewarm on this whole episode, but there's something that nobody can say is that that this that they're retreading old territory. I mean, this is new. Seeing Deb like this is cliche as I may think it is, or as tired as I, I don't want to watch it. Uh, or I don't want to watch it play out because uh, I don't know. But this is new. This is new. It's exciting. It's the end. I guess for now, for the first time in the entire history of the show, anything could happen. I mean, Deb could die halfway through season six. What a twist that would be. Let's look forward to next week, man. It's going to be something. Cheers, Travis. It's going to be something. <laughs> not committing. That's not like you. But some good points there, psychopath. Showtime spoiled the cliffhanger of the first episode by giving too much away about Vogel's character. Indeed, most of the episode was pretty well spoiled by the trailers. We saw a glimpse of Briggs getting stabbed by Dex. We heard Deb telling Dex she had killed the wrong person, psychopath. It's definitely a a failing of the pre-season trailers and teasers, and remember, it, it is Showtime who produced these, not the writers, psychopath. And you're right about Harrison. He has aged rather a lot in six months. Four or five isn't so young to play football. My five-year-old has friends who play football. Psychopath. It's not so unusual, but it's a fair comment about Dexter's portrayed relationship with his son. It's never been convincing to me, but that could be intentional by the writers. Although protracted scenes between father and son might have drawn negative comments from viewers impatient wanting them to get on with the main plot. I think we addressed this specific point last year as well. 
I suppose they can't win, but I do honestly think we're meant to perceive that Dexter is far from the perfect single parent. I'm glad you raised the point about their phones. That always irritated me in the past when texts would just be on a plain blue background, but I, I guess they had to be generic and not vendor-specific. I guess now that they have some product placement, or appear to have some product placement with Apple, they can sort of make it more realistic, but I welcome that. The fakeness of the texts in the past, it, it was a bit distracting, psychopath. <laughs> You know I'm teasing with the psychopath thing, don't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, email now from Sweden. Hampus Hagland writes, Hey Gareth, Vogel, Vogel, Vogel. I'm getting some seriously good vibes from this character. We all love season one, right? Well, this is the first time since Bri Bri we're getting a character with a link to Dexter's past, not counting Estrada, etc. Which is great, to have someone with the upper hand against Dexter... There's not much more to say about Vogel right now, but I'm guessing we'll get to know her a lot more in the next episode. On another note, I don't know if you like Entourage, Gareth, but it was a nice, it was nice to see Billy Walsh again. Overall, I think this episode was really good. Nice pace, a lot happening without feeling stressed. I'm a little bit disappointed about Deb. I just hope she won't be like this all season. Cocaine and decadent living doesn't feel like Deborah, no matter what has happened. I've got a good feeling about this season although they always manage to make the first episode of the season a great one, don't they? Last but not least, best scene of the episode was in the briefing room when Masuka says, she said, insert herself, <laughs> and we get a classic Masuka laugh. Even without Masuka, that scene was great. Vogel and Dexter carefully watching each other. Following that was the wonderful scene in the morgue, and I could go on and on about great scenes in this episode, but I'm going to spare you my over-analysis. Can you tell I'm excited? Well, I am. Thanks, Hampus. I'm pretty excited too. Yes, Billy Walsh. <laughs> I was trying to remember his character name when I was recording my review. He was a really good character in Entourage. Shame Reese Coiro didn't get to hang around any longer. I'd like to have seen more of him in this. About Deb. Like you, I wouldn't want her to stay like this. Maybe she'll make efforts to turn herself around, but without reaching out to Dexter. She's freshly upset now about Briggs dying, though, so I think she'll maybe get worse before she gets better. She might have to hit her rock bottom first. Also, I agree with you about the briefing scene. I didn't talk about that, really, in my review, but it was a nicely, a nicely, nicely done scene with some very subtle looks from Vogel to Dexter and vice versa. And Masuka's quip had me laughing, too. OK, an email from Jerry Hopper in Tennessee, and she writes, Long-time listener, first-time contributor. After the explosive end of season 7, I was so excited for 801 and I was not disappointed. What a fantastic episode. It's so hard to see Deb so far down. Jennifer Carpenter is so talented. You can tell that Deb is just trying so hard to forget everything and figure out a way to move forward. Dexter's denial and slow descent into belief and realisation was very hard to watch, but man, what great TV. I can't wait to see what happens next week. I do have an idea, though, about how this is going to play out, so I guess this is a prediction. I sincerely doubt that anything that is happening in this season is without a purpose. I know you tweeted a question to Scott Reynolds about how did they cover up the fact that Deb shot LaGuerta, 
I think that'll definitely come back up. There were most likely questions at the time, however. After LaGuerta's attack on Dexter, I think it was just closed. Also, when Harrison broke the vase from Batista, did you notice that Dexter did not clean it up? Just a thought, Batista walks back in, sees the broken vase, and maybe, finally, especially after Dexter's outburst earlier about LaGuerta, he begins to question Dexter. My prediction is that Batista and Quinn pair up and start to ask some hard questions. It should be interesting. Thanks so much for the podcast. It's something I look forward to every week. Hope to have some contribution again soon. Thanks, Jerry. Always nice to hear from first-time contributors. And you're, of course, very welcome to email in again. Interesting prediction you make. I mentioned earlier about Quinn maybe picking up on something Jamie might say sometime this season, and it brings back his old suspicions from season five. We've obviously had people in Miami PD have suspicions about Dexter before, so I'm just thinking that they may not go this way this year to save them treading the same ground yet again. But if anyone else is going to get on Dexter's case, then it's got to be this season or never, so who knows? (laughs) The writers, I suppose. But yeah, you, you mentioned something else I tweeted scott about and i guess that is a bit of a spoiler (laughs) if he was to answer that one so yeah maybe we can read into his lack of reply that uh, that is something that's going to come back this year he he is uh, usually pretty good at responding to tweets okay another email now from ailsa joyce who writes as follows this really felt like the beginning of the end and on the whole i generally enjoyed it and think it's going to be good. Vogel looks like she's going to be a strong and likeable character, and I love the surprise link to Harry. I have so many questions about how her part will impact on the path that Dexter will take. I find it interesting that Deb and Dexter's roles seem to have reversed. Their relationship has completely failed as brother and sister, and if it's to be repaired, what will this look like at the end? Will it be something more as Deb had originally wanted? I certainly thought that today. Lastly, I felt a bit of the excitement that I felt in the early seasons, but that could be because we're coming to the end. I hope they keep the pace up, as I've been so looking forward to a great finale. Thanks, Elsa. Their relationship is truly in tatters, and it's a real shame after they've been rocks for each other. I don't believe they'll end up romantically involved at the end. God forbid. (laughs) And at this point, I don't know if they'll have any closeness of any kind. I hope they do, but it's not looking good at the moment, you've got to admit. And what do you want to bet? There's the odd spanner or two thrown in along the way to make sure any reconciliation is as difficult as possible. Hi Gareth, this is Sandra. I really, really like this episode. Wow, great, especially the ending of this. It has me hoping for a great season. Um, Of course... Lots of things to talk about in this episode, but I want to concentrate on the Dr. Vogel um, aspect of this. Dr. Vogel, Vogel, or as in Germany, it would be translated bird. <laughs> Dr. Bird. Well, what does she know about Dexter? And um, first thing I was thinking was... Did they listen to our complaints? Why did Harry never take Dexter to a psychiatrist? Well, it seems he did. And um, it will be really interesting to find out the story behind this. Because, well, she knows a lot about him. 
she knows about Harry's code. Um, she got the drawings of him. Um, is the one drawing supposed to mean that he he was fantasizing about killing Deborah? The, was she the girl with the the hat cut off? Interesting, really, really interesting. Um, they're talking a lot about psychopaths and the way they function. She says they have no empathy. Um, there was this one scene when Dexter stopped the car and um, he started uh, choking the driver. Then he saw the scared kid in the back seat and he stopped. And I think he stopped because he felt the the kid's pain and and the angst he had. And that is empathic. So I think he's not quite the typical psychopath. There must be something else to this. Um, she also pointed out when they were talking about the Behar the Butcher um, and Dokes that uh, uh, Dokes had a short fuse and that is not a trademark of a psychopath. Well, again, he pulled over the driver and uh, choked him and he really had a short fuse there himself, didn't he? Also, the scene when he when he killed the guy, um, that was a something not planned, it, it was more of an impulse he followed. Of course, normal people don't kill people on an impulse, so there is something off with him, we know that, but is he really a psychopathic killer, or why is he killing? Um, I hope that this will be unveiled this season, and I think um, when he finally sees himself the way other people see him, like Deborah, um, Maybe he even ends his own life. I don't know. Well, um, a lot of funny scenes in this episode as well. Really love the La Guetta Memorial. <laughs> People will park their buds on. Uh, yeah, I'm just really, really looking forward to the next episode of this season. And I think we'll have a lot of fun with this. So, I've got to go and do some cardio. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sandra. Thinking back to previous flashbacks... Jesus Christ! Oh, you bastard! Go on, bugger off! <laughs> One of my learned colleagues just elected to bang on the side of the mobile studio. <laughs> Son of a gun! Oh, be still my beating heart. I think I've just aged. <sighs> right, okay, where was I? Sandra's voicemail <laughs> oh dear thanks Sandra <laughs> um, thinking back yeah thinking back to previous flashbacks <sighs> the only references I can remember about psychiatrists was Harry telling Dexter about fooling them not letting them get any inkling that he's got that darkness in him I think there were references later about Dexter being pleased he fooled them and Harry being pleased that he'd fooled them. <laughs> we talked about it on the Rewatch podcast a while back, saying how different Dexter's life might have been if he'd got that crucial professional help before his path was set. We don't yet know exactly what Dr Vogel's involvement was. She's mentioned the code directly, so Harry must have consulted with her. Whether she actually had sessions with young Dexter himself, we don't know. You'd think he'd remember something. Funnily enough, I was speculating with uh, 
Travis on um, Facebook messaging this morning, <laughs> suggesting that maybe uh, who knows if Harry was actually having a thing with um, with Vogel, and um, maybe that's how she got involved and got closely involved. We know Harry's got a bit of a track record for playing away from home, so yeah, we'll see. Your comments, Sandra, about the road rage incident and Dexter stopping when he saw the boy. He did feel something. There is empathy in him, to an extent. But we know he certainly is no ordinary psychopath. Sorry, that word again, Travis. <laughs> it is going to be the buzzword for the season, isn't it? Dexter's shown great capacity for being selfless on occasion putting himself out for somebody else and not always just for Deb for others as well I mean he's, he's obviously looked out for Deb the most for better or worse but he's also protected Rita and the kids in the past um, he's not your typical classic template of a set in stone psycho he's shown potential to change and I think as viewers we've latched onto that over the years and been encouraged that there is some hope for him in that moment, seeing the boy, it did bring him back down, um, clearing the red mist. Perhaps before he came a father, perhaps even before meeting Rita's kids, he'd have reacted differently. But it's true. Becoming a parent really does change you. It makes you more sensitive to children, not just your own. And we saw that there with Dexter coming out of his rage and backing away. You make a great point, Sandra, about the short fuse. Dexter did indeed demonstrate that twice this week, although the second was more of a straight fight. But as Vogel pointed out when talking about Dokes, a short fuse, um, a short temper, is not a hallmark of a psychopath. So, food for thought. On to an email now. Nick Henderson writes, Hey Gareth, it's good to be back. It is a little bittersweet, of course. The beginning of the end is upon us, and we now only have 11 more new episodes of Dexter to dissect. Ever. Here are my thoughts on a beautiful day. First and foremost, the tone of the show has undergone a bit of a change since the end of season 7. Dexter and Deb are floating adrift in dangerous waters, miles apart, which has created a sense of hopelessness that the show has rarely had. The current landscape of the show in regards to the supporting characters is better than it's ever been. Batista now has a sense of renewed purpose on the police force. Following LaGuerta's murder and Quinn's feelings for Deb may ultimately lead him to his own showdown with Dexter before the season ends. It's all very exciting. The introduction of the brain surgeon killer seems like a throwback to Dexter of old. I feel like the show would be missing something if its, killer f if its final season didn't throw in a killer with a taste for theatrics. Of course, this leads us to Dr Evelyn Vogel, a character who I think has a lot of potential to be one of the series' most important characters. I can't wait to discover the full nature of her relationship to Dexter and the extent to which she helped create the code that Dexter has lived by his entire adult life. Oh, that was a long sentence. <laughs> And breathe. <laughs> we got our first glimpse at Elway, Deb's new employer, and given his position as a private detective, I can see him becoming a thorn in Dexter's side very soon. I also enjoyed the scenes with Harrison a lot more than in previous seasons. His ability to walk and talk had a whole new complication that I'm sure Dexter will be dealing with all season. And then there's Deb. 
What a transformation! It was hard to see her in such a pitiful state in this episode, and it was even harder to watch Dexter frantically try to help her and fail. Of course, his refusal to back down led to another senseless murder and set things in motion with the hitman, El Sapo. In the end, this episode was a lot of setup, but the foundation that it has set for the remainder of the season has me very excited. Looking forward to next week. Thanks, Nick. Good comments. You've echoed a lot of my own optimism for the new storylines. The grisly nature of the new apparent serial killer, because, let's face it, this won't be a one-shot deal, will it? A, one, a one-time thing. It is a heart back to the days of Dexter past, and I welcome that in this final season. But yes, overall, the episode did a very effective job of laying foundations for the season. Moving on, an email from Mike Lanich who writes as follows. Last season I sent in a quote from Anais Nin and I wanted to provide another. Life is truly known only to those who suffer, lose, endure adversity and stumble from defeat to defeat. So, this is the beginning of the end and while the season opener cannot possibly scale the heights of last year's incredible gem, it is nevertheless a really good episode and a good way to start off the season. This episode was filled to the brim with dual views on perception of one's own life and how Dexter and Deb stand on opposite sides with a fairly wide chasm between them. Chasm, that's a good word. <laughs> so that was my comment, not Mike's. <laughs> right, I'll stop interrupting Mike, sorry. He goes on to say, on Deb's side, we see that she's going to be that she's going to a special kind of hell. It's a hell she feels is deserved, but it's not a reality nor a hell she's hiding from. It may take incredible strength and a long time to come to terms and accept her choice that night and move on, but any happiness strived for and found down the road will be that much more appreciated by Deb. On the other hand, we have Dexter, who starts the episode cheerily telling us that LaGuerta's death has solved everything. He's seemingly become a better father, has found a new lady friend and seems to be much happier than he's been in some time. Of course, it's a lie, at least partially. He does seem to be a better father, but LaGuerta's death has taken Deb away from him, and it's causing him far, far more pain than he would like to admit. In a way, he's filling in his pain of not having Deb in his life with fatherhood. Everyone has a limit on how much they can endure, and while last year revelations about Dexter caused some cracks to appear, LaGuerta's death at her own hands has caused Deb to finally shatter and reach her own limit. So now Deb off of Miami Metro and now a PI, is working a case and reveling in a level of debauchery I would never have thought possible. Snorting coke and taking a wide range of antidepressants, she's clearly hitting rock bottom. And then she gets to go to the next level of her own hell when Dexter kills her lover slash criminal suspect. Good job, Dex. Way to help Deb get better. My quote at the beginning is primarily for Deb since she's suffered more than any character I've seen. Hopefully after, her character, hopefully, after her many stumbles from defeat to defeat, she will eventually find peace, and in the peace, victory. Dexter, meanwhile, is hitting his own emotional breaking point. After confronting Deb in a supermarket in which she says, You made me compromise everything about myself that I care about, and I hate you for it. I shot the wrong person in that trailer. Dexter gets cut off in traffic and attacks the man in front of his kid. When Dexter is hitting the kind of emotional rock bottom he hit in the season 5 premiere when he beat that man to death in the bathroom, 
it's a fair indication that he's suffering far, far more than he wants to admit to himself. While he's becoming more human, he still is working to understand more intimate parts of himself and his reasons for lashing out throughout this episode at criminals, innocent people and even Harrison are, hid are hidden from him. While I quite liked a bit about what I watched in the premiere, my favourite part was a fundamental truth that finally came out. Deb, and as we an audience, has always lined up our thinking that Deb needed Dexter in her life, that Dexter was the strong one that she latched onto for support. But it's actually the other way round. Deb grounds Dexter and gives him something to hold on to. It's why he ultimately picked Deb over Hannah last year. She is Dexter's safe harbour, and it's gone. Possibly forever. Now Dexter is lost, floating in an ocean of isolation, bobbing above the water occasionally to see if Deb is nearby, and sadly, she's nowhere to be seen. How long can Dexter stay afloat before his strength gives out and he's lost forever? Some other tidbits. Is Batista poor now with a restaurant he's purchased but isn't making him any money? It makes that whole storyline less important now, eh? Will Batista go through LaGuerta's evidence and find that tape with Deb at the gas station? I'm glad Vogel hasn't been made out to be a closed book. We don't have time to play guessing games as much this season as in years past. Personally, I wonder if she's the killer herself. Thanks, Mike. Some really great comments, really insightful as always, and I can't argue with any of it. A nice analogy there of Dexter floating in the ocean of isolation. Deb has indeed been Dexter's safe harbour, a grounding for him, and now that's gone. It was a reciprocal relationship. She needed him too, there's no doubt about that. But Dexter's only now realising how much he relied on her too. Your other comments. Six months have passed. I don't know, that may be enough time for Batista to have perhaps sold the restaurant on. But yes, it is a bit of a moot point now, I think. <laughs> I thought the same as you about him going through LaGuerta's stuff. That video file must still be on her laptop, right? That could well come back in a big way. As to whether Vogel is the killer herself, they said that this week's victim was killed somewhere else and brought to the waterside. Could she have managed that on her own? I don't think she'll be the killer, but there could be some other link, like we talked about on the preview podcast together. Gareth, it's Ian from Bristol here. I didn't comment much on Series 7, as I found it difficult to get into the series. I only finished watching it a month or so ago, and I've just caught up with your last podcast. Anyway, hopefully I'll be able to comment on Series 8 a little bit more often. The first thing I noticed was during the Season 7 recap, it was interesting that whilst Hannah was on Dexter's kill table, she said, do what you're going to do, which is exactly what Dexter said to Debs in the freight container just before LaGuerta was killed. I don't know if that was mentioned before in your previous podcast, but it stood out a mile for me. Um, the re writers like to have repeating themes, and the birth of Debs as a killer in a freight container directly paralleled Dexter's own is just one example. I wonder what other repeated themes we'll see before the conclusion of Series 8. Um, I think it was sensible to continue the show six months on from LaGuerta's death. It allowed the writer to dodge the messy issues of how LaGuerta is found and the investigation into her death. I know this sidestepping will annoy some fans, but I think it allows the final story to proceed without all that baggage. So, on to this episode's key points. Um, the Dexter and Masuka love fest. I like the short montage of all the things that Dexter loves at the start of the show. Flying kites, winning the football competition, 
Um, I refuse to call it soccer. Uh, bowling, and I love the scenes of Masuka and Dexter doing the blood splatter experiments. They both look so happy smashing fake heads with the big thumbs up from Masuka. I'd almost forgotten how much I love Masuka. His character has been totally underused for some time now, and I'd like to give him, see him given a lot more airtime. Deb's P.I. All she needs is a moustache and a red Ferrari, and we have a new spin-off series ready-made. I find it hard to believe that Debs would quit the police force so readily. Um, the single constant in her life besides Dexter was her police career. I just can't see that she'd give it up so easily. This storyline just doesn't feel right at the moment, but we'll wait and see where it takes us. Uh, Lieutenant Angel. So Angel finally gets promotion, and the restaurant storyline gets quietly canned. I hope that they give Angel a good story this season. He deserves it, much like Masuka. Um, Dirty Dirty Quinn and Jamie. Nothing much to say about this pairing, other than it's not going to end well. Um, also in the UK, if you want to see Dexter as soon as it's aired, then you need to find it on the internet. Uh, unfortunately, the version that I saw was heavily censored for nudity and language. So I saw pixelated bottoms, um, which are funny, not erotic, and uh, every sentence that Deb said was full of empty space, as the poor sound editor had to remove all the swearing. <laughs> um, Psycho Whisperer. Charlotte Rampling was great as Dr Vogel. From the first introductory scene, she was showing interest in Dexter. She seems to know so much about Dexter, even having those childhood pictures, which makes me wonder about her previous history with Harry and Captain Matthews. It was fairly evident from the dialogue that Matthews and Vogel worked on a case together. In fact, I'll, I'll quote, uh, when most of you were in high school, and uh, there was a very poignant glance at Dexter at that point. Uh, perhaps it's her that invented Harry's code to help control Dexter's urges. Perhaps she'd been following Dexter's career from a distance, and now Matthews and Vogel have decided it's time to stop Dexter. Let's see. Um, the non-speaking detective lady with no name actually gets some dialogue. Who is she? Is Angel hitting on her? Has she got a big bottom? What's her name? Could this be the final piece in the Dexter jigsaw, or is it just a realisation by the writers that they have no strong female characters other than Debs? Harrison speaks. Of all the blood splatter, gore, dissections and other grisly physical acts, it was a lost Harrison which made my heart beat faster. It was with a real sense of relief when Harrison appeared so quickly. Uh, I know exactly the panic that Dexter was feeling at that point after losing my own son in an Ikea store some years ago. Um, I scoured the store and eventually found him five minutes later amongst all the cookie toys near the exit. Um, so the sense of relief was uh, profound. Um, a beautiful day. So coming back to repeated themes, as a repeated theme itself, it was interesting that Harrison and Dexter are flying a kite together to the sound of Wonderful World at the very start of the episode. Then, just before Dr. Vogel drops the bombshell, we see, see the broken kite in the hedge. Uh, an ominous foreboding of what's going to come in future episodes. So, overall, I thought the quality of the writing and production was much better than previous seasons. There were lots of subtle details in the dialogue, and the camera work um, was excellent, making it really stand out. Um, just one example being the opening scene where Dexter's having sex with a girl and the final flower on Hannah's orchid drops off. Um, whether this attention to detail will continue through the series, we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be an interesting journey, this series. I'm sure every fan is hoping for their particular version of the perfect ending, whether it's Dexter dying, going to prison, escaping to obscurity or whatever. However the production team choose to end the series, I'm sure some fans will be happy and others unhappy but we just have to repeat the mantra trust the show well thanks for the podcast gareth and hopefully speak to you next week goodbye great comments ian i'm sorry you found it hard to get into season seven i was quite surprised about that if you've heard the podcast from last year you'll know that i was right there from the start and loving the drama especially in those first two or three episodes 
maybe the game change at the end of the previous season was a bit unsettling. I don't know, but you're here now and that's what matters. <laughs> you referred to the six-month jump. On the wrap-up podcast, Scott Bucks said that they decided to jump forward a bit because if they'd picked up where Season 7 finished, they'd have had all that procedural stuff to show and it would have taken up too much time. It made more creative sense to jump forward and see where the characters are at now. I'm fine with that. It gives them more time to spend on the good stuff. That said, there are one or two loose ends about the murder that we could do with resolving. Not least, what about the ballistics coming from Deb's weapon? You mentioned Deb walking out, not sitting right with you. Honestly, I think it's all she could do at the time. She just couldn't cope. Everywhere she looked, she had reminders of what she did. She probably didn't feel worthy of her position anymore. She, she didn't deserve to be a police officer anymore. You also mentioned the orchid being Hannah's orchid. I got the feeling that we were meant to presume this, that this was the plant from Hannah, but the one she gave Dexter at the end of last season had black flowers. Unless she sprayed them, of course, and the flower head we saw in this episode was a new bloom, but from what I know, orchids take longer than six months to reflower. I've got the same type of orchid in my kitchen, so... I don't know, but it was... I think it was symbolic of... Um, him thinking about Hannah. Right, thanks Ian. On to another of my fellow Brits. It's Matt Battles in London who emailed to say, Surprise motherfuckers, so this is it. The definitive end of Dexter. The writing's on the wall and now it's only a question of how our favourite serial killer will be making his exit. A strong opening episode, quickly filling us in on everything we've missed since Deb pulled the trigger six months ago. Deb's in hell and, naturally can't get past the horror of what she's done and Dexter's in a state of denial but on the bright side he started bowling again. As usual top performances from Michael C and Jenny C. Once again these two are just blazing through the script and making it ten times better. Comical line of the episode goes to David Zayas and Batista. Maria deserved more than a place where people park their butts. Brilliant. If things stay as they are we're in for a fucking good closing act. A couple of things that irked me. First of all Fucking password. Really? This just shows that Dexter really doesn't know Deb, and that the writers are really fucking sloppy. Also, how the beep is Harrison seven years old? At the beginning of season six, the little guy was two, two and a half at most. Then with season seven picking up immediately after, and only spanning a few months, he's barely three. And then flash forward six months, and he's suddenly meant to be seven? Oh dear. That's by the by, I guess dumbasses. I'm also certain that if Dex is caught, this week's kill is the one that gets him. No gloves, no disposal, flimsy alibi at best. Oh dear. Thanks Matt. I didn't mind the password thing. It made me smile. I can just imagine Deb sitting looking at the choose new password prompt and racking her brains and getting frustrated trying to think of something sensible and secure and then just going oh fuck it and just typing in the one she did. <laughs> now Harrison I must have missed something because, honestly, I don't remember them saying he's seven now. But you're absolutely right, he should be three, three and a half maybe. The boy on screen looks maybe four, but definitely no more than five. Did they really say he was seven now? That's ridiculous if it's true, because in the timeline of the show there's no way he can be that old. Did anyone else catch that in the episode? 
That kill at the end, Briggs, Dex did pick up a tissue to open the door, but there must be some other forensic evidence there. There must be plenty of it. Witnesses outside might have... Actually, just thinking about it as I'm talking, I don't think he wiped the knife, did he? So, there must have been witnesses outside, maybe other people staying in the motel, hearing noises, hearing shouting outside when Deb was arguing with, with Dexter. I mean, Briggs heard it, because he came outside. It'd be loads of evidence. CCTV on the street, showing cars arriving and leaving. I suspect there'll be nothing more about it, but it could quite easily all come back to bite him in the ass. <laughs> OK, moving on, an email from Tim in Melbourne, Australia, who says, Quick feedback about the first episode. I really liked it. I thought it was very dark and quite bleak, especially for an opening episode, but not in a bad way. I felt a sense of tension and dread throughout this episode that I usually don't get until very late in a season of Dexter, when the shit is hitting the fan. I guess the climax of last season set this up, but there have been very dramatic season climaxes before, and I don't think I've felt that Dexter's world has been this screwed up before. I think MC Hall's performance conveying extreme stress and tension in this episode should not be underestimated. Now, here's my take on the direction I see the season going, purely based on this episode. Firstly, I think you'd agree that the character of Dexter has become less sympathetic over the past couple of seasons. Some might say he's becoming more of a selfish asshole. With this course established, I was interested to see how they'd handle his ultimate fate in this final season. If Dexter continued to be this much of a prick, I saw no way that he'd have anything resembling a happy ending. Also, Dex and Deb's relationship looked to be irredeemable after last season's finale, and certainly as things stand at the end of this episode... I think this Dr. Vogel character will be the game-changer regarding both of these story aspects. Firstly, it looks to me like she'll be revealed as some kind of creator or manipulator of Dexter at an early age. Either through some kind of invasive therapy, procedures or even brain surgery, I think she will be shown to have created the Dark Passenger. This will paint Dexter to some degree as more of a victim and might reinstill some sympathy towards him from the audience. If this is indeed the writer's plan, then a less terrible fate may be in store for Dex at the end of the season. Also, I think somehow Vogel will bring Deb back into the fold for Dexter. This will happen either through the doc explaining to Deb that Dexter can't help his condition due to some brain imbalance, or through Deb discovering that Doc Vogel messed with his brain when he was a kid. Either way, that's my tip, that this Dr. Vogel character arc will be partly designed to portray Dex as a victim, and a bit less of the evil arsehole that his recent behaviour has seemingly shown him to be. This could be done well, but I do have some concern that it will come off as too contrived, like in the last season the writers have found a convenient way to let Dexter off the hook from a moral perspective. I'm going to stay optimistic, however. Trust the writers and see how it plays out and just enjoy the ride. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Tim also asked me whether I'll be following the Ashes series this year. <laughs> yes, I will be following it. Memories of the 2005 series are still very vivid to me. Awesome series. I do like a bit of cricket. Anyway, Tim, you make some good comments here about Vogel's possible influence on Dexter, and maybe Deb too. Perhaps you'll have some revelations to share with Deb that make her feel better about herself, or at least her childhood. It could be a bit rubbish if the writers backed up and tried to let Dexter off the mole hook in some way. I don't think they will. But yes, trust the show. <laughs>
Right, on the Facebook page, there's been a few comments. Uh, lots of people enjoying the episode, um, including David Carter, who offered an opinion about the episode, saying, holy crap, this is going to be a great season. Don't care for Deb's actions. Dr. Vogel is an interesting character. Hate to say, but I can't wait to see how they end the show. Meanwhile, on Twitter, I got quite a few um, comments, including at Maddie Riley, who said, hate to see Deb like this, but it's going to make for a great season. El Nino Kevin said, I expected an explanation on how LaGuerta was found. She was shot with Deb's gun, or am I wrong on that? No, Kevin, you're certainly not wrong on that. And as I say, Scott Reynolds um, didn't reply to my query about it. And at Joe Bear said, this season looks like it's going to be a good one. I sincerely hope it is, and early indications are good, Joe. Uh, also, thanks to some iTunes reviews that have popped up. Thanks to Happy Monkey 87, Steve Alice, uh, Jerome Van Opdorp, and another reviewer whose iTunes username looks like it got a bit garbled when it was posted by iTunes. Um, picking out the letters and numbers, it comes out as LLLBV642. Uh, you probably know who you are. I hope you do. Uh, thank you. <laughs> OK, that's it. If you want to get in touch with me, you're, of course, always welcome. The listener lines... In the US, it is 646-222-6122. And in the UK, it's 0844-579-6949. And on the UK line, you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. There's also email, dissectingdexter at gmail.com, where, of course, you can send me uh, attachments. If you do a voice recording on your iPhone or other recording device, you can just attach it and email it, as uh, a lot of you do. There's also Twitter, at Dissect Dexter, or my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. Um, I don't know which of the two is less interesting. Obviously, the Dexter one is more Dexter relevant. On my personal Twitter, I do post tweets about other stuff, um, mostly stuff about other TV shows that I watch. There's also the Facebook page. Go onto Facebook, search for Dissecting Dexter, and you'll find it. It's always a quiet page in between seasons, but um, is picking up, of course, now we're into season eight. If you feel like supporting the podcast in some other way, uh, you can go to audibletrial.com slash Dexter. Audible is the podcast sponsor. Um, if you go to that address, you can sign up for a free one-month trial with Audible. They are a fantastic repository of audible content audio books uh, they have thousands upon tens of thousands of different titles to choose from fiction and non-fiction there's loads of stuff on crime and serial killers they've got most if not all of the dexter the uh, jeff Lindsay's dexter novels on there uh, if you want to check those out uh, and if you sign up for a trial you are able to download one free audio book during that time that obviously is free you don't have to pay for <laughs> and before the month is up you're under no obligation if you cancel your trial before the month uh, you don't owe them a penny and if you do sign up for a trial then I get a small commission for that and obviously it goes towards uh, supporting the podcast paying for the voicemail line Skype credit and that sort of thing so um, a lot of you have and I I'm very appreciative you know who you are thank you very much Well, there's 
plenty to be interested in moving forward into episode 2. But I do have to say that this episode felt a little bit weird to me on the first watch. Something wasn't quite right. But having slept on it, I honestly think it was just me. This was a decent episode. It's the final season, and I'm feeling nervous, excited, a little worried. A lot of different emotions that this really is it, and this was the first part of the final chapter in Dexter's story. These feelings were hanging over to me as I watched, a little bit of a cloud. I hope it passes because I want to be able to relax and enjoy the ride and with your help, dear listeners, maybe I can manage it. (laughs) So, to find out if I can manage it, come back next week when we look at episode 2 which is called Every Silver Lining. So until we get together again in seven days to dissect some more Dexter together, thanks very much as always for your continued support. I really do appreciate it. So until next week, take care guys, bye for now.